and it's not as simple as you know everyone can just rest or everybody can just self-care their way to freedom which is definitely not the case but what I do think can be done differently when engaging with black feminist work and disability justice work is working together in ways that are respectful of different people's rhythms different people's um, sense of time and the fact that people's lives change in unanticipated ways and we can change and do things differently collectively. talk about the need to connect with our ancestrality because colonialism cannot be the thing that defines us and cannot be the only tool for us to understand our identity and situate our blackness. You know, I think we're talking about like beats and rhythms but also just you know feeling the rugs, seeing the textures of everyone's hair, the different layers of clothes, mm. you know, and like just the little peeks mm. through, it's all, it's all that. So, hello everyone, welcome listeners to Undersong, Race and Conversations Otherwise. Undersong represents a commitment to amplifying the space for listening to what gets too easily buried, erased or forgotten. In listening to the uncomfortable legacies of empire and coloniality that shape the present, this podcast serves as a local and global platform to exchange critical thought around race and the making of worlds otherwise. Today we have a special occasion because we are now recording in our offices, we are now recording in any kind of a formal environment, so expect some laughter <laughs> and a little bit of joy that we expect you listener to feel that we are here in my living room this is Katusha speaking and we are hosting Francesca Sobande and Lila Roxane Hill to speak to us about some provocations of black feminism producing and and reproducing black knowledge and creating and co-creating spaces with a careful mindset and intention. So we are here in this living room with tea, with cinnamon rolls, <laughs> sitting on the floor and looking at this beautiful view almost close to sunset uh, towards the Pentlands. Uh, we are in Edinburgh, and for everyone who is listening across the world and in different times, in different spaces, I hope you also receive the the kind of intention that we're putting here. Um, in this special occasion, because today is the 20th of November, 2022, and we are also celebrating the Brazilian Black History Month. So today is the day for that celebration in which we, we connect somehow with ancestrality, uh, the struggle and the legacies that this ancestrality left to us, which is related to our conversation today, building carefulness <laughs> in everything we do and all the spaces that we create. So um, I would like to start introducing uh, briefly Francesca Sobande, who is Black O'Hare, for around 20 years 
and Leila Roxanne Hill, who continues to be Black Hill here for around 30 years. Welcome you both. Hello. Hi. hi. <laughs> and hi, everybody who's listening. Hello. Well, uh, should we just start a little bit just saying what is the context? We're also celebrating you both having this, having written this beautiful book. Would you like just to tell us a little bit about how it was to write Black Hole Here in the context in which you wrote the book and curating pictures and, and stories, narratives uh, that are in confrontation with pain, coloniality, but at the same time with so much love and care with that beautiful black feminist methodology that you put together? I think that maybe the first thing that comes to mind, which is, it relates to what you've started by speaking about, which is intentionality. And I guess I'm thinking about that because I feel as though sometimes when people discuss books, there can be questions around, did you always know what you wanted to write about from the start? And the question quite quickly can focus on, ideas to do with direction or purpose or outcomes and outfit in a way that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as intentionality and mm. I feel like the context in which we wrote this book was a very uh, messy context in many ways whether that's what was happening in the world things that maybe were impacting us personally it was a context in which I don't think we ever could have anticipated what the work would become or how we would approach it, but there was always intentionality. And I think part of our intention in doing this book was to focus on and reflect on the lives and histories of black people in Scotland in a way that didn't reduce such lives and histories just mm. to numbers or to what's referred to as data and which celebrated the livingness and um, the lived nature of, of, of all of what we were writing about and speaking about with people. And that meant approaching this with care, um, care for ourselves and each other, but also hopefully care for the people and histories that we were writing about too. Hmm. Yeah, I think that even though it's something that's been consistent like throughout like our work and our lives, like that being careful, um, probably because of the pandemic and you know everything that was happening um, following George Floyd's you know very visible and public death that you you felt you know you couldn't get away from feeling so that has or did inevitably shape the book you know there, there was feeling in there that you couldn't get away from it was just there um, and I think just what Francesca was saying as well like you know that was personal, you know, everything that was happening was personal to us, even though a lot was happening on a global scale as well. So it was maybe, there was never like anything that was set in stone about how it was going to be. And I think recently going back through to the proposal and seeing how it's changed, but it hasn't changed significantly. Um, but yeah, I just feel that it's something that it doesn't use the people's the people who've contributed like experiences in a way that's going to you know push us forward or push forward like a certain agenda and hopefully people who read it and the people who were involved in in making this book with us because it wasn't just us you know it's all the people that contributed through the surveys 
through their writing, the people that they've researched and the people who interviewed, um, that they feel that that it's theirs mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That speaks a lot with the kind of methodology that we approach uh, when we are producing knowledge. But I think it, it extrapolates that, right? Because it's about how we produce knowledge, how we how we are in a different process. And I mean it intentionally, as Francesca said, um, not as a counter narrative to the violence or coloniality, but as a narrative that is on its own term, uh, kind of developing a way to validate, produce, co-produce knowledge with attention to things that we know that it has been, it hasn't been so present in the way we, we do things in general. And I mean, producing knowledge in our everyday, producing knowledge as a book, as we are here now sharing this space of recording something to people who will listen and, and hopefully get uh, fruitful conversations from this. Um, as we go about our days and have different encounters in different ways. Uh, so that's what I'm talking about in terms of knowledge making, knowledge produ- producing. Um, how do you find this process with all the joy that you must have, of course, but also facing maybe some resistance on the, on the way as we are black women, as we we know that not all doors are going to be opened and not everyone are going to be uh, with open ears to listen because of that. Uh, so what do you have something to say in how you balance or ponder or negotiate with those elements? It's beautiful how we share also the this moment of how we ponder and negotiate, <laughs> right? Because it is, it is common more and more as we understanding or want to listen to each other, to be able to, in silence, share some kind of intimacy and, and respect to, to our body and to, to the time we need to process, hmm, how I'm going to go about this? Because... There is so much to be said in terms of uh, the everyday struggle, right? The everyday struggle to having doors closed at us, on our face, but also um, creating other doors. Uh, it's just like, we don't want to sit on the table. We're going to destroy the table. We don't want to have the table anymore. We want to uh, maybe have a picnic, in, make up something completely different. So uh, when I'm talking about producing knowledge is, is that uh, making a whole new style of being uh, with our thoughts and each other thoughts from a different space does that make sense yeah I think even the, the moment of pause that that question um, is maybe followed by feels as though that's part of the answer to the question and I guess what I mean by that is you're asking a bit about I suppose our experience of doing this work and some of the 
challenges or um, different ways that individuals or institutions might obstruct the work or try to push the work to be something that it was never meant to be mm. and just makes me think about times when doing this together that there were moments of pause or the um, there was an embracement of doing things in a different pace or a different way and I feel as though with writing when that writing ends up being shared in ways that mm. involve different institutions or publishers and um, there can sometimes be this focus on speed or what's referred to as deadlines timelines and that often feels at odds with the sort of work that we're trying to do so just even thinking about there were times when we were working on this or um writing as part of this when we were dealing with a whole host of different things including grief and what it what it means to to work together in ways that account for the need for different rhythms the need for different paces the need for different pauses and the fact that institutions might not want us to do that and might not support that but it doesn't mean that we can't respect that in the ways we work together and it doesn't mean that we can't find different approaches outside of the ones we're being told are the only options yeah yeah i think like yeah <laughs> so um i guess sometimes like when you are writing individually um it can be easier to just follow what a publisher is saying or an editor is saying or whoever's giving you like that space you're just like no i need to get this done but when you are working collectively um, or together with someone one other person a couple of other people and you're both like feeling like that emotion mm. of writing of sharing it's your it's all your inner thoughts it's what you've been thinking about it's what you've been feeling like for the past you know, for a lifetime you know manifesting like in a document that you don't really speak about except you speak like via a document mm. and to then be able to understand like that rhythm or see that rhythm from the writing that someone's sending back to you and vice versa and to be able to push back against a publisher for example who asks you for deadlines and say well actually we've been working to our own rhythm we've been working to our own pace in, in a way that they may not ever be able to understand mm -hmm. but has still created something or produced something um, which reflects our own beliefs mm -hmm. um, and yeah I think just even in terms of you know the, the photograph selection um, <laughs> which is something that was questioned a little bit but it was nice to be able to say well actually this is important because this is how you can view being black in Scotland and it doesn't necessarily have to be about the pictures of a black person in front of a hill yeah, you know, in yeah. Scotland or holding a Scottish flag or wearing a cap that says Scotland or something <laughs> you know that it can just be and yeah I think it's like you get to explore like different ways in which you can co-create or co-produce in ways that you never thought that you maybe had inside yourself mm. and if that helps an institution or an organisation even just think or see that it can be done differently it's helpful but I guess it's not the be all and end all yeah yeah absolutely thank you for that because those reflections about how we respect our pace and the space we we 
we create to, to do something collectively and also individually, right? Because even if it's easier to maybe accommodate what the publisher wants, I think it's also uh, how do we respect and negotiate our own needs, right? And the pace, and the pace that we want and the path that we want to take. Um, so my, my question is more about if there is cons a need for consistency. And I'm not sure how we are going to think about what consistency means here. Okay? We can break it down, this word, uh, together. But what uh, if there is a need for consistency in our ethics, the, the ethics of caring that we are that we are deploying but not trying to deploy i think it's the intention the every day that we do like and we address to ourselves and to others uh because as you were explaining leila the the negotiation we have is always like okay we have this space with my co-writer or my colleague right or my community whoever this community is in whatever situation they are it can be a grassroots community can be a virtual one but it is a process already and a constant negotiation to find a pace with our groups within you know even if it's a small group but then we have other uh, negotiations with the society as a whole and we have uh, another negotiation with the institutions who are expecting things from us in a in a particular way according to particular sometimes bureaucracies or administrative procedures and what i'm trying to say is that there are different pos positionalities at play privileges at play and that makes the dynamic of power negotiations way more I don't know, dynamic, the movement is active all the time. So just back to the first word, and that's why I wanted to ask if there is any possibility to have consistency in ethics of caring, considering the constant movement of the positionalities and, and privileges and power that we have to deal with. I think I, I'd start by saying I consistency is probably a word that mm. I'm not so drawn to yeah and i think it's it's for lots of different reasons um which are re including reasons we've all spoken about at, at different points i'm thinking about some of the conversations we've had to do with black presence as part of the gem collective pacing accounting for differences between people's experiences of health or illness and um, sickness disability but i think that that doesn't mean that we can't speak about and work towards different forms of momentum or different ways of continuing and mm -hmm. um, at the same time I think sometimes there can be such a focus on things being permanent or mm -hmm. things being constant or consistent that it there's less of a discussion around is the way work is being done um, as careful as people think it is or as careful and it, as it can be so I think in a way for me consistency isn't something that I'm drawn to as much as maybe um, like movement pacing and momentum yeah. and also just thinking about the fact that <laughs> thinking about the fact that there could be times when um 
We're just we're just <laughs> in this space. Yeah. Instead of there's been lots of laughter and lots of noise. Yeah. <laughs> speaking round the word consistency <laughs> no I was just thinking I am what was I thinking but um oh also just that people change and people make mistakes so I think when you're asking about like consistency around ethic and ethics of care I'm conscious that I think no matter how much people try to be careful or caring um there can still be harm that that is 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 part of how they move through this world or part of how they work individually collectively and otherwise so i think that's one of the reasons also why rather than thinking of an ethics of care as being inevitably like consistent um, and constant i think there also needs to be space for acknowledging that sometimes people have done things in a certain way that they might they might have moved on from now and we can acknowledge both Mm -hmm. Um, and i guess just thinking about also the fact that care means different things to different people so what one person might think is a way of working with care is actually at odds with um someone else's experience of what caring means or or to be caring or to to be cared for to to care with Mm -hmm. um can involve yeah yeah thank you for that because uh maybe that's that's what care uh requires more in terms of the the movement uh, and that dynamic being more uh, free to understand the possibility of change instead of having that expectation of a word of consistency, for example, that kind of suggests some kind of fixated thing that doesn't really allow people to breathe and, and yeah, also grow, right? Because it's a very kind of, yeah, yeah, it suggests different things. Think. Leila, do you do you have something? I feel like yeah, like consistency is something that's kind of like associated with it's steady. Mm. Like this is something that maintains like a very particular type of thing. Yeah. You know, and people like a consistent person. They like mayonnaise of a certain consistency. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> consistency is something that feels like progress, you know, as opposed to I think it makes me think about time and it's like care is time and having time to care and having time to think about how that looks. I think just what Francesca was saying, it's like it maybe or sorry how I understood it, it's like it can't there shouldn't be like a consistent path that we follow. It might be that it's something that pops up like in this little space over here at a certain time, you know, or it might pop up like here with different people, you know, and there's no consistency. But it's yeah. just it's popping up here and there, like the mm-hmm. way that you scatter seeds if you get a packet, and you know there's five thousand, but you're never going to end up with five thousand carrots. You mm-hmm. might end up with three, and that's the way of like looking at the ways in which we can work, like in that careful way, that we can try it in all different types of places. But it might just be three ways that grow into something bigger or that looks like consistency. Whereas the rest might just start sprouting, but it's just like an idea. You know, it's just something that at least is pushing against what I suppose has been like more consistency of harm. Mm. When I think of consistency, I think of something that's been consistently harmful. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's what we find as well in terms of 
yeah those doors that are sometimes closed to or the negotiations with harm that we need to to have uh or different positionalities of privilege and power uh in hierarchical terms that can cause oppression um is also in movement right so <laughs> Uh, as much as it is is steady in terms of the colonial, uh, I don't know, connection maybe, um, it is also moving around in different ways. Uh, in the classroom, for example, I, I tell students, like, uh, check the conversations you have in the living room, check the conversations you have in the pub with your friends or with your parents or whatever you know, your close circle, because that is also the space in which we can see uh, or be more aware of how we are naturalizing harm, or sometimes we are feeling that we need to produce different kind of care. Also, as you said, Francesca, uh, to different people and different needs. Mm. Yeah. I was Let's also see. just thinking, and sorry, you were speaking about like doors being closed I was also thinking about sometimes the doors that are opened yeah. and involve someone inviting you in sometimes those doors can also present their own <laughs> ominous possibilities uh-huh. so I, I guess I'm just thinking about um whether it's like in relation to care or time or different ways of like being together or working together how some of the forms of like resistance to the sorts of things we're speaking about or trying to do can also come in the form of people inviting us or, or seemingly inviting the work into different spaces or into different conversations, um, but not in a well-intended way or or certainly not in a way that involves intentions that are aligned with the sense of intentionality that um, we're discussing about. Um, so yeah, I suppose I'm just thinking about how it's not just the closed doors, it's also about some of the invitations that spring up um, and knowing that just because an invitation is there doesn't mean that that needs to be engaged with. Yeah, yeah. Be careful about <laughs> yeah. those spaces. <laughs> Dangerous. It's also how uh, decolo- the, the decolonial or the feminist uh, has been co-opted by different groups, right? And these doors might be open, but not always um, space of, uh, in which we are safe uh or welcome really or welcomed yeah in a permanent way it might be something that's there because yeah it's cropped up and it seems like a a helpful thing to then focus attention on you Mm -hmm. know and say that it's been done or but yeah oftentimes i guess it's other people who are actually contributing and doing work there they aren't welcome in a more permanent way because that would disrupt the ways in which like it would disrupt the consistency of the ways in which things are just continuing on um, yeah. and it would be a whole system change out mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and from this black feminist kind of producing collectively uh, knowledge and spaces because what I understand from reading your book and being with you today uh, in the kitchen you know uh, breaking bread and drinking tea um, it means it means to be together enjoy uh, each other's presence 
you know, having kind of a, a, a pleasure uh, of this black feminist intention, this black feminist action uh, that Audre Lorde talked about, the uses of the erotic, that other black feminists like Shirley and Tate talk about the pleasure, right, in, in the way we exchange and do things. So what you are saying here is resonating with me uh, in also a previous conversation with Cheska about the rhythms that we have or the rhythms that we need. And I'm thinking also about creative writing, right? Uh, the pace, the rhythms, the beats, the notes, the silence that we share, like kind of contouring or punctuating the the way we are making this together. So would you like to share some of this different kind of beats or spaces or poetics that you are living right now that you would like to share in here? I feel like I've inclined to say this, this, <laughs> I don't want to say moment, because <laughs> I don't think that sort of comes back to stuff to do with time, where mm -hmm. things are, are like contained or treated as, um, or sort of, I guess, like reduced. But I think what, actually what you just said <laughs> um, and how you said that feels as though it's that in action. Um, so like the poetics of the time we're spending together and like the, the rhythm of it, the beats, the... Um, pause the space for movement just the space for being so I think although we're speaking a bit about like writing and working together and um, even just what it means to get to spend time with each other in a way that doesn't feel like confined or constrained um, and in a way that feels like a, an exhale um, mm. and how that's a part of the different types of rhythms and forms of pacing that we're speaking about Mm. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for that. Leila? I think just also the textures. Like, I see you, like, wrapped up in this blanket. I am I Brazilian, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's, yes, it's getting cold this time of year. <laughs> I mean, it's always cold. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. I love, like, textures and... You know, I think we're talking about like beats and rhythms, but also just, you know, feeling the rugs, seeing the textures of everyone's hair, the different layers of clothes, mm. you know, and like just the little peaks mm. through. It's all, it's all that, like, you know, and when you're yeah. saying about the tea and yeah, I think it kind of correlates to like the previous question about institutions and, but even like some people who, who claim to this sort of politic and, you know, speak to, you know, Audrey Lord and, you know, kitchen table and like you know pleasure but then it isn't actually how it feels today like where I just met you yeah <laughs> you've read her book but I walked into your home and just felt immediately that this was also my home yeah um I'm glad <laughs> and I think like I can't put that into into words that could be written or said but just it's the feeling Yeah. Um, and I guess I could describe that through the textures that I see and the smells and yeah. Mm. It's it's important to say that the the blanket that I'm wrapped on is very colorful and it was made by my aunt in Brazil. Mm. 
and it, it's really heavy. Uh, I don't know how I was allowed to bring this because I always bring a lot of heavy stuff from Brazil. Um, so I just wanted to add this to the kind of a care that is involved in this circle and the conversation. Um, and explain a little bit or maybe try to translate a little bit of the of the caring and the love that is being part of this of this moment that we are sharing here. Um, I think it's one of the, the experiences um, in my life in as an academic as 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 a person as as a person is the the moment in which I understood that doing something in a different way was possible. And I found this kind of answer in black feminism. Uh, not as a, as a theory, because I found black feminism as, as this rhythm, as a pace, as poetics, not just as a, as a reference, right? As a bibliography, whatever. So maybe it would be Maybe, I don't know if you would like to share anything in particular about your experiences, but maybe share a message to someone who is listening and understanding academia from only the painful perspective. Because I don't think necessarily that this is a, an academic space. It's not that. But it's just the possibility of creating a space from a black feminist perspective that are possible. And it doesn't need to be through necessarily only suffering. Um, so I thank you for that, but I also want to remind myself that this is possible the days that I am, you know, sometimes exhausted or, or really like just wanting to be wrapped in this blanket. <laughs> uh, so do you have anything like something to share or a message to send about this? Thing. I mean, I, th I think immediately a lot of both of you <laughs> and conversations um, we've had over the years and um, also just the fact that for me, I guess, when I think about black feminism and I think of the sort of work we're speaking about, in a way, the last thing that comes to mind for me is um, institutions, be mm. them universities, like formal educational spaces um, and I think about the fact that actually I think that a lot of what we're speaking about right now um, isn't really possible within a lot of those settings and can only and has to has to exist in ways that are outside of them and that doesn't mean that there aren't times when the work that people are doing um, involves like drawing on or turning to different places for funds for resources and um, wherever those funds and resources may may be coming from. But I just feel as though the idea that black feminism or different um, critical or cr collective ways of being and caring, the idea that that is the, like, in possession or, or is the possession of academia or is the possession of any institution or authority mm. is a really harmful idea. Um, I think, I guess... In our book, we speak a little bit about the fact that there can be these like post-feminist perspectives when it comes to certain discussions to do with black feminism yeah. or certain ideas to do with the notion of, you know, being a black woman means being inherently 
radical or inherently black feminist or inherently anti-imperialist and when that's not the case so I think all of that is to say that if there's a conversation to be had about black feminism and academia it's a conversation that shouldn't start with academia being the focus and it's a conversation like you said that needs to be understood in ways that goes beyond like bibliographies um, (laughs) citations and that also means being really upfront about the fact that it tends to be the same few names that are often mentioned even as part of some of the sorts of conversations that um, academia is invested in constantly having, well, shutting down the sorts of conversations um, Mm. that could, should and are happening elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Leila, would you like to share some of your thoughts? Yeah, I guess... um like I'm not connected to academia like in the ways in which um, you two might be um, or are and I, I do see like you know black feminism being practiced like in and out with the academy um, but I guess it might not be named as such and I think it's also that thing about language and what people get to understand as black feminism and maybe seeing like what Francesco was saying, like, you know, when it's the same sorts of names that are being upheld, certainly seem like more white feminist groups or, you know, individual like white women now claiming to be like black feminists mm-hmm. and pushing aside like maybe the newer forms of like black feminism which are growing and existing outside of like the big names or the big theories, you know, and yeah, I guess it's like what you said, it's about point like where you just realize that you can do things differently and I can't put my finger on when that was Mm -hmm. but I just remember there being a okay it's actually going to be okay you can just keep doing things like the way that you're doing them and it's not wrong you know and I don't like using that word but it's different and it's okay that it's different and it might just be when we go back to the conversations about producing and as somebody who writes and you know puts things like out into the public or curates things, if one or two people and hopefully some you know black feminists see that and recognise that okay, that's something that like I believe in, mm-hmm. you know, and they might not have read, you know, the black feminist theory that some of us have read, then yeah, I guess like that's seeing and we go back to that seeds and the carrots again. You know, it's just like, oh, there's something, and that's like the co-production and the sort of new develop, the development of like kind of newer, collectivized, but maybe not consistent and not all together. But it's all just little bits that are now making up like our our own black feminists. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much that makes sense in the no, it does. About way. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, with carrots thrown into. <laughs> <laughs> It's because you fed me carrots, and it's just like, I don't think about carrots now. Yeah. But, but that's a great metaphor. Would you like to say anything else about how black feminism is meaningful for you in the everyday? I think in terms of how it's meaningful for me in the everyday, um, I guess we keep speaking about, you know, um, pacing, rhythms, time, and I'm thinking a lot about black feminist 
disability justice work um, and actually especially about the fact that over these last like three or so years where we've seen in different different parts of the world public discussions to do with health to do with wellness to do with um, inequalities and oftentimes those discussions are completely removed from the work of black feminists who do disability justice work and who've been doing disability justice work for such a long time um, and also whose work is now sometimes being like repackaged, reframed, represented as anything but what that work is. So I think on an everyday level that means thinking about and experiencing time in different ways and I know we've spoken about this a lot too and I I don't feel like I could ever do justice to how you've sometimes discussed time but I remember you saying something along the lines of like time as being um, basically just there's an abundance of time right I mean there's so much people will speak about not enough time and you know too little time and I think a few years ago I remember apparently time was like the most commonly used words during the day someone said that at some point somewhere at some time (laughs) but all that's to say I think the way that um, you've spoken about time and just the way that I think black feminist work particularly which focuses on um, a disability justice intention deals with time has on an everyday level helped me approach days differently Mm -hmm. including days which are um, like filled with pain physically and otherwise or yeah. days where you know something pops up that you didn't anticipate and instead of going into that mode where you might feel as though almost you need to um, push through or like find a way and um, letting things be mm-hmm. and knowing that even when some people in some places are saying there is no time um, time I think as you've spoken about it is there is an abundance of time mm-hmm. um, and and that also means like coming back to respecting your own rhythms it means making and taking time rather than waiting for someone to give you permission to do that and I recognise all of these things are very much impacted by the reality of how someone's um, life is their access to material conditions or their lack of access to certain resources and um, and it's not as simple as, you know, I guess I'm thinking of these like empty ideas of like everyone can just rest or everybody can just self-care their way to freedom, which is definitely not the case. But what I do think can be done differently when engaging with black feminist work and disability justice work is working together in ways that are respectful of different people's rhythms, different people's um, sense of time and the fact that people's lives change in unanticipated ways and we can change and do things differently collectively and yeah. um, rather than going into this sort of reactionary state where time is treated as um, something that has to be chased or sought out rather than something we can make and take together mm. absolutely thank you that was beautiful yeah yeah Time is abundance. Well, time for us in Canoblé is an orisha, is a, a divine entity that doesn't have any division between past and present and future, mm-hmm. which means uh, for me, in my interpretation, it's kind of a revolutionary take for people from, uh, well, whether Africa or an African diaspora, 
when we talk about the need to connect with our ancestrality because colonialism cannot be the thing that defines us and cannot be the only tool for us to understand our identity and situate our blackness. And I think that speaks so much to Black here because as much as we are talking in relation to coloniality sometimes in terms of the context, right? The, the violence or, uh, and many other things, there are so many important things about how we make the lives here uh, that are so important that, you know, time kind of uh, disrupts that Cartesian, Judeo-Christian calendar and makes sense in its own terms from uh, different layers of connections. Yeah, like I think it's definitely... <laughs> It goes back to the time thing, um, and there was a time up until like very recently, like where I wouldn't give myself permission to take time, and probably would seek like permission from others. And <laughs> <laughs> we got some tummy grumbles. <laughs> Fine, I'm just ashamed. A lot of communication going on here. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no, no, go no. on. Um, you know, I think like seeking permission from others and like as somebody who like you know is self-employed, um, is it can be quite difficult sometimes like to take time. But I feel that time and rest, and again, like I echo like what Francesca says, you know, that is dependent on your material conditions as well, right? And, you know, the notion of time is projected as something that is very exclusive or elusive, and it's, you know, people either have too much time in their hands or they don't have enough time. You know, there's always a contradiction um, in relation to it. So I think in my everyday, it's, it's the taking care of myself and like those around me and it's the it's the time that you take to do that too Mm. you know and it also just depends like on whatever that contribution like may be in terms of care it could only be a message it could only be a phone call but that could mean so much more or even just you know that physical contact that somebody might need um yeah and I, th- I guess it's like through the pandemic, like that's something that was really like crystallised as well. And it's just like how few people like are are able to access, you know, and this has been seemingly everybody had time, or not everybody, but we're led to believe that a lot of people had time in their hands. Um, and I think it's just that physical contact as well, like for a lot of people, like you never know when somebody was last touched. Yeah. And touch is so, so important, like, for us and with us all. Um, so, yeah. Again, around about, around about the world. <laughs> yeah, but it, it invited us to, to put things in a different perspective. Uh, especially just to go back about the care we give and how sometimes I need to, accommodate different situations and different people in different times 
So, yeah, thank you. That's that's really meaningful. Yeah. Is there any final thoughts? Maybe less final thoughts, more and, and more not so final feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, like Leila said earlier on, there 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 aren't the words in, in many ways for all that feels part of and present in this. Mm. Um, and I guess I'm just sitting here um, thinking of of all the different like befores, durings, afters that are part of this or are part of us. And even when you were sharing also about time and, and um, moving beyond like distinguishing between past, present, future. So I think not no final thoughts, but just like taking in all that is this and really appreciative of um the the time that you've made and the space that you've um created and welcomed us into and just hope that everybody or anybody who engages with this um gets to experience even a, a small part of what um has been possible here and which I'm hugely thankful for for both of you and just really so much love for you both so much love for you we are satisfied for today maybe uh, in terms of this moment but it doesn't mean that we are satisfied with everything that we are able to give and, and receive uh, as we integrate all these words and all this affect all this love into our hearts and move on to our next steps um, in whatever dis- direction we decide to um, Leila, the mic is yours. Yeah, the, the not so final thoughts. Like, like as I sit and listen to this, and I can feel like the resistance in me as well, like listening back and thinking that people might be like, oh, it's very, you know, lovey, lovey, but where's the, you know, where's the action? Like, where's the, and it's also just trying to resist against that. And yeah, then, yeah. So whoever's listening, I hope that it's just like, it's, it's okay to feel that. But mm-hmm. also to know that that isn't that isn't the right feeling. The right feeling is just to sit like with the the love and hopefully the joy that you can hear like from this. And yeah, it's just I think in amongst lives that are so like defined by pain and painful experiences, it's just finding. <laughs> It's finding that I'm laughing away to myself, but it's like just finding like the the utter like joy, silliness, pleasure in the in the everyday, in the every moment. You know, sometimes people can't do a day. Sometimes it has to be the moment. Going back to time again, it operates in different ways for different people, and I think particularly like in the sort of worlds that we're moving through at the moment, like that's becoming harder to do. Or we seek it, you know, not through each other, but through, you know, online things. And it's important just sometimes to have that little giggle, mm-hmm. you know. Have a lot of those giggles. Have a lot of those <laughs> yeah. giggles. Yeah. And, yeah, like, just take the time to 
tilt someone in the eye, you know, or to get them to smile or however hard that might be. Because I guess we have no idea how much like that's also going to bring to someone else. Yeah. Thank you. I think this also brings us to uh, that feeling and I wanted just to to say something about that, like um, the impression that someone may have in terms of how romantic this kind of conversation of feeding and nurturing love uh, might seem. Um, but it is through a praxis, a black feminist praxis of refusal uh, to have conversations only about pain and through pain and through the racism that we suffer. I am sure that in this series of podcasts and elsewhere, you will find these conversations. And if this is the moment for you to understand how to get to a different moment, that so be it. But I think it's important for all our listeners to understand that the refusal is intentional as we are here together nurturing a space of love and care that black feminism gives us the opportunity to do. And that is the praxis or the message that might, might be more important now to, to give. So thank you everyone for listening up to now. Uh, thank you too for being here in this really cozy and lovely space. <laughs> on the floor, in the living room, with this beautiful view and sunset. Uh, I hope you all have, um, well, have enjoyed. And I see you in, I listen to you, or I hear from you. How do you say this? How do I finish this? Well, I hope you hear from us in the next episodes. Bye-bye.